Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. In her memoir, The Writing Life, uh, Annie Dillard writes, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and with that one is what we're doing. And we could add what we do with this hour and with that one is the sacred ground of our lives. What can feel mundane and ordinary to us, things like getting rest, doing our work, eating meals, and paying attention, all of this is the daily place where we encounter the holy. Over the next few weeks, as we turn in our calendar year of the church toward ordinary time, uh, we are going to be exploring the common experiences of life, where we can welcome the divine into the texture of our ordinary world. We started out last week with hours of rest. Hours of rest because our culture has not learned how to rest well. We don't know how to cultivate healthy pauses, and if anything, most of us in this room probably tend toward overwork. But I don't mean to imply that work is unimportant or unspiritual. Far from it. I mentioned last week the Benedictine monastic motto, Ora et Labora, prayer and work. This phrase intends to hold both up as the place where we encounter the divine among us as part of a balanced life. There's this lovely little story that comes down to us from the life of the ancient monk, Anthony of the Desert, uh, lived in the 300s, and he was considered one of the main sources of Christian monasticism. One day, he was feeling particularly lost, and he said to God, how can I be saved? A short while afterwards, when he got up to go out, the story tells us, Anthony saw a man like himself sitting at his work, getting up from his work to pray, then sitting down and plaiting a rope, then getting up again to pray. It was an angel of the Lord sent to correct and reassure him. He heard the angel saying to him, do this and you will be saved. What I love about this simple little story is the wisdom that our wholeness isn't found in leaving our ordinary lives, going off on retreat or going up to a mountain to pray. Rather, our wholeness is found in the very simple, normal routines of our day. Work and prayer, rest and relationship. This daily is the holy terrain of our lives. Today is the final celebration of Eastertide, the Feast of Pentecost. Fifty days after Easter, we celebrate the presence of God's Spirit with and among humanity throughout the ages. And as I hope will become clear shortly, I think the Feast of Pentecost is a perfect day for us to think together about our hours of work. Well. That's fun. <laughs> now, I find it curious that I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon about work. I did some quick math. Uh, in my lifetime of attending churches, I have sat through a minimum of 2,340 sermons. 
probably more, and you would think I would be a better person after all of that, but oh well. 2,340 sermons, and I can't remember one which focused on our hours of daily work. Now that's fascinating to me. Maybe I'm just going to the wrong churches, but after all, work is where the majority of us spend an enormous part of our lives. Now, of course, I've heard sermons which mention work, but if it came up, it was like how to evangelize at work. You know, leave a Bible on your desk, pray at your lunch break, invite your coworkers to church. There's a strong implication, I think, in American Christianity that work falls outside of the sacred. Our lives with God have to do with Sundays and quiet times and maybe walks in nature. But when we arrive at the office or log into Microsoft Teams from our laptop at home, we've left spirituality behind. Now we're in the daily workaday grind, secular time. But how can this be? I mean, surely if being a student of Jesus has anything to say to us of substance, if Christianity gives any meaning to our lives, then it should say something to us about our hours of work. And not just vaguely, like how to evangelize at work or how to have good character so you you don't, I don't know, embezzle all the funds from your office. If we're talking about the sacredness of life, shouldn't we be thinking carefully about the sacredness of our work? and about how the divine meets us in and through our work. So this morning, I want to tackle a spirituality of work together to help us see our working hours as a primary field for encountering the divine and which gives dignity and weight to all of the various vocations that we each pursue. Now, in order to build a theology of work, we have to zoom way out, way, way out, and ask a big question— What is God up to with humanity? Like, what's the plan? Why are we here? I know, it's ambitious. That's an ambitious question. But we really need to consider this meta-narrative, the big overarching story that we live in, in order to situate our work. And I think some versions of this meta-narrative, this big story that are told in American Christianity, make it really hard to think well about work. For example... The typical American evangelical answer to this question, what is God up to, would run something like this. God has a wonderful plan for your life, which is to get you out of here. This place is burning down and we need to get out, right? And so this world, it's going to be replaced. And the main thing God wants for you is that you go to heaven when you die. That's what God's up to. Now, you could see there's a direct line between that meta-narrative and the devaluation of our work. You have to work to eat, yeah, but only saving souls really counts, right? Which creates a really interesting dynamic where only the pastor's work and the pastor's agenda have ultimate meaning. So ministry is a holy occupation and everything else is secular and therefore second-rate. This also leads to churches telling their people that the most important thing they'll do in their lives is volunteering at church to make the pastor's agendas come to fruition. I think there's a much richer answer to what God is up to in human life, one that is better attested to in our scriptures and which fits better with our human wisdom. And that is, what God is up to in human existence is this. God is inviting and drawing each one of us into creative partnership with God for goodness. 
God is inviting and drawing each one of us into creative partnership with God for goodness. God is making humanity capable of partnering for good in all of our many areas of influence. What the divine is bringing forth in your life is the fullest expression of your capacity for creative goodness through all of the unique characteristics that make up you. I think we see this in the first chapters of Genesis. Uh, we, we have a poem in those first chapters describing the creative goodness of God, right? The Spirit of God hovering over chaos and bringing forth order and beauty in the universe that we call home. And then, as the poem describes God bringing forth humanity in the midst of creation, we read, God said, let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, they were created, male and female, they were created. Genesis evokes the understanding that humans bear the image of God, which is to say that like God, we have spirit and are capable of creating goodness. So here's where we can tie into Pentecost, right? Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the Spirit coming into the church. And the question we might ask is, what is Spirit? When we talk about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit in man, what do we mean? What is Spirit? Well, Spirit is the capacity that we have for creative personal power. It's irreducible to mechanistic chains of causation. Spirit is the part of you that originates things in the world. That's just you. Over the ages, our capacity to originate and contribute freely to our world has been such a mystery that it gets denied over and over again, whether by Calvinists or behaviorists. When we talk about the Spirit of God, we're gesturing toward the aspect of the divine that is creative, that breaks in unexpectedly in our world, hovering over chaos and bringing forth life and goodness. And so when we say that humanity has the divine image, when we say we have spirit, we're saying that against all expectations, you and I can create. You and I can bring goodness to pass in the world from within ourselves, a real and unique contribution, unforced and undetermined. And that is what work is. Our work is is where we prefer, perform this very mysterious act of creating value that comes from nowhere but our own hearts, our own creativity, our ingenuity, our capacities, our love. It may not feel like it while you're sitting at your desk typing away at an email or baking a loaf of bread at home or repairing an engine or sitting with a client, but you are participating in a mystery. You are creating now, to be clear, work on this understanding may or may not be what you're getting paid for at any given moment. There is a lot of good work that we all do in the world which isn't paid, from planting flowers to watching kiddos to, I don't know, fixing your bike, things I'm not capable of. What I'm hoping we can see here is that our work, paid or unpaid, our creative contribution to the common good is central to what God is doing in and through us. It's not the only thing, but it's a core thing of what God is doing in and through us. 
Work is by definition spiritual, the outpouring of our creative hearts. And it is very much a place where God wants to meet us. So to recap, what God is up to in human life is developing our capacity for creative goodness. But even more, what God is up to is inviting us into partnership with God for creative goodness. That is to say, the divine wants to work right alongside us. I think this is the right contest for us to think about the idea of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. I don't know about you, if you grew up in the evangelical world, let alone the Pentecostal world, you know about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, there are varieties of gifts, from this, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of spirit for the common good. Okay, so we, in Pentecost, we'd have a sermon about spiritual gifts, and then everyone would take a spiritual gifts inventory. You'd fill out little bubbles, and it would tell you, oh, I have the gift of stewardship. Oh, I have the gift of wisdom. I have the gift of tongues. You know, you'd bubble things out, and then you would be told that your spiritual gifts were meant to be used for volunteering at church. <laughs> Isn't that nice for me? All these people with gifts that I get to use. <laughs> now, as an expression of our community... Of course, there are ways that we need each other here, right? And there are ways that we can all play a part in extending our common table as a community together. That's true. But I don't think that church volunteering is the primary thing Paul is talking about here. Rather, I think Paul is talking about God joining and partnering with each one of us in the many creative endeavors that build up our human world together. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Which is to say, just as the Spirit was hovering over the chaos of creation to bring order and goodness, God is very interested in being with you to bring forth flourishing and goodness in your work. It seems to be a particular delight of God's to work with humans in their creative efforts rather than bypassing us, right? God could just get it all done by God's self and just do it all. But rather, God seems to want to share life with us in our work. If this is true, then it means that God isn't just with us on Sundays or in our quiet times, but at our desk, in our meetings, and yes, even on Zoom. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Think on it. God is with the accountant bringing clarity and accountability for wise care of resources. God is with the waitress who remembers everyone's orders and anticipates needs and facilitates a beautiful shared meal. God is with the craftsman who makes sure that your floors are level and the roof doesn't leak. God is with the stay-at-home parent and the working parent both who weave a safe, nurturing environment for their developing kids. God is with the bus driver, ensuring everyone has access to reliable and safe transportation. God is with the painter and the cashier and the baker and the teacher and the therapist and the engineer and the event coordinator and the plumber and the housekeeper and the doctor and the gardener, drawing forth and inviting their creativity and delighting to be at work with and in and through them. Okay. Now, I know I'm painting a very rosy picture of work here as a creative expression of our hearts, and there are days it feels that way, and there are days it does not. 
And even more, there are inequities in our world that unjustly prevent people from the fullest expression of their capacity. And this can be extremely painful and frustrating. After I came out and had to resign from my previous pastoral position at a church that didn't affirm LGBTQ lives, I got a taste of this. This work, this pastoring work, this is who I am. And suddenly, because of my orientation, the door closed on me, and I didn't know if it would ever open again. For seven years, I did a desk job that meant very little to me, just put in my 40 hours a week to get by. It was hard. It was really hard. When we're dislocated from our creative potential, we can feel so trapped and disillusioned. I'm so grateful that I was able to find work here at Pearl, but I also know that 10 years ago, I couldn't have. And there are so many other unjust lines that are drawn that keep people from their potential. Inequity means that not everyone has access to the training and the opportunities and the support to bring their creative selves to bear in our society. And this, to a great extent, is along racial lines, it's along gender lines, it's along socioeconomic lines. Inequity also means that our society values and rewards certain kinds of work more than others and divides work into false dichotomies like educated white-collar work and menial blue-collar work. And it dishonors work in ways that, again, get tied to racial and gender and socioeconomic status. Mike Rose, who was a late professor of education at UCLA, wrote extensively about this divide. He wrote about the unfortunate trend in the West of looking down on those who work with their hands, a tendency that goes all the way back to Plato and Aristotle, to consider the person who works with his or her hands to be of lesser quality, to be soul-shriveling. The Greeks even talked about manual labor making one unfit for civic participation. These are old biases we have. Similarly, we deride work that historically has been seen as women's work, or work that has historically been given to people of color or of lower class to do, rather than honoring the creation of goodness and the enormous contributions that are made to our society through this kind of work. Inequity also means that our economic system encourages employers to see workers as resources rather than as divinely creative spiritual beings, and to treat them as replaceable, as reducible, as machinery, which encourages workers to see their work as meaningless and disconnected from their creative goodness and the well-being of society. We end up with a world where the paycheck is the only goal because our work environments prevent us from seeing ourselves as creative and loving participants in the common good. Right? This isn't an atmosphere that most of our corporations help it, people embrace in their workaday lives. These realities being the case, what are some ways we can begin where we are to recapture the beauty and meaning of work, even amidst the presence of inequities? One place we can begin is by honoring work. Honoring work, all work, wherever we see it. Our own work and the work of others. Whatever the kind of work, we are seeing the vulnerable, creative offering of a spiritual self. We're seeing one of the greatest mysteries of our world, that someone is creating. 
the person who pumps your gas, the barista preparing your drink, the Lyft driver taking you home are all performing little miracles that capture the heart of the divine. Maybe it would help us to think of the divine delighting to partner with each person, especially in work that we might tend to think of as menial or beneath us. This idea of honoring work includes not diminishing our own work, even if it's not where we want to be. That can be really hard when we're our work, we feel stuck somewhere in a job that feels dead end. It's not where we want to be. It's not the career we want. For my seven years of exile from pastoral ministry, it sounds so dramatic when I call it exile. <laughs> seven years of exile from pastoral ministry, I worked at a translation services company as a project manager. It's not my passion at all. Uh, but I would regularly remind myself of the human beings whose lives were being helped. A Tagalog speaker navigating healthcare systems. A Gujarati speaker applying for a mortgage. A Portuguese speaker getting legal assistance. A Ukrainian speaker getting the latest COVID updates. It was good work for the common good, even if it wasn't the fullest expression of my heart. It helped me a lot to name that to find the good in what I was doing and to name it. I also think there's something really beautiful in vulnerably naming your desire for creative work, even if it seems impossible to achieve. Again, during those years estranged from my work, there were so many nights of tears and so many nights of sitting with God and holding my yearning to put my time and my creativity into work that expressed my potential. It's true that it may not always be possible to achieve the work you're capable of, and that's, that's a tragedy. But in naming our desire and inviting God into that vulnerable place, we begin wetting our appetite to do good. We keep that longing to be part of goodness in our world alive. And then we tend to find ways to exercise that creativity in hope. The longing can also begin to inspire and create a groundswell of change. I mean, how many people vulnerably dreamed and desired before it was possible to open the door for the first person of color or the first woman or the first gay person or the first trans person or the first differently abled person to move into a role? How many people longed before it became possible? And who can say what that longing or that dreaming did to help create the conditions where it was at last possible? Finally, in whatever work we find before ourselves, you are invited. You are invited to see that work as a sacred ground where the divine is right next to you, right alongside you, deeply interested in your growth and in the goodness that you uniquely can bring about in your work. In what we do day in and day out, every work day, every at-home work day, we participate with the Spirit of God, hovering over chaos and bringing forth creation. May it be so, and let us pray. Divine flame, you inspire our creativity. Be with us in our many hours of work. And help us to dismantle the inequities and open the door for each person to achieve their capacity and participate in the common good. We hope that this sermon inspired you. 
to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.